The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truly, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they bought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. Now when we look at our coins today, they're all imprinted with a picture of the Queen. I haven't seen one with the King yet, but if you have. But this is normal to us. Anything different from the coin would look a little weird. But this is no different to the coins used all throughout history. They were imprinted with the image of the emperor or king at the time. And this was to remind everyone of who their king was or who their emperor was. If you lived in the Roman Empire, it was the emperor. And he would have his image placed on the coins with an inscription of his name. This is so you wouldn't forget who your loyalty is owed to. But in this passage, we see that some of the Pharisees and religious leaders had grown tired of Jesus and the way he had ridiculed and dishonoured them in front of the people. So they had been coming up with different ways to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. They sent out people to try and trick Jesus into saying that people should pay the tax or not pay the tax. Either answer would have caused issues for Jesus. That's because this was a special tax, a tax only reserved for those people who had been conquered and living under Roman rule. Roman citizens didn't have to pay this tax. Now this tax was a problem for the Jews for two reasons. The first reason was because it required them to carry around a denarius, a coin with a graven image and inscription on it, 
breaking the commandment about not making graven images. This is a rather strict interpretation of that commandment, but one that still worried most of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The second reason was because Jewish people paying this tax to Rome was a constant reminder that they had not yet received the promised land they once had before their exile to Babylon. After their return to the promised land, when Babylon was defeated by King Cyrus, they were controlled by the Persians as a vassal state, meaning Israel had their independence if they obeyed the Persian king and paid their taxes. This was also the case for Israel when Alexander the Great and the Macedonians took over. But here the Romans are their overlords. Paying this tax to Rome was a reminder that they had not yet reclaimed what they believed was rightfully theirs. That was the land promised to them through Abraham. This was a problem for them because they could not have their own king. Well, not a real king. They had King Herod, but he was put in place by the Romans. And this is why they were waiting for a Messiah. All they had was this puppet king. But this Messiah was to come and kick out the Romans and sit as king of Israel just as David and Solomon was, ruling over the promised land and also to rule over the entire world, not just Israel. But as we all know, this didn't really happen. Well, not in the way that they were really expecting. You see, the Pharisees actually thought that Jesus could be a Messiah. That is why they investigated and watched him closely throughout his entire three years of ministry. They were present at his baptism because they thought John the Baptist might be a prophet or even the Messiah. So they saw Jesus getting baptised. They had seen all the miracles he had done and listened to all that he had said. What they didn't understand is that the coming Messiah was not one who was just human like you and I. But Jesus was a Messiah that was both fully man and fully God. They didn't understand the Messiah was to be the actual Son of God. So worrying that Jesus might be the Messiah and not being one who they liked, they'd been coming up with schemes to try and discredit him or kill him just like Israel had done to all the prophets God had sent them. But before asking him, they tried to pander to what they see as his complete disregard for power and authority, hoping to catch him out in a moment of pride. Because they thought if if he ridicules and despises us, how much more will he ridicule and despise the Romans? So if he says, pay the taxes, then we can say he's one with the Romans and turn his followers against him. But if he says, don't pay the taxes, then 
they can arrest him and have him killed. So they ask Jesus, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? In this question, they think they have him trapped. How could anyone get out of this without getting in trouble? It's probably the most cunning question that they have asked him throughout his time. But Jesus does something here that is extremely significant and probably missed by a lot of us today. Jesus simply asks in return, who's on the coin? Now it seems a simple enough question, not a question that I would have thought would cause any problems in answering. They say, Caesar. And so Jesus says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Now it is said that they have no response and that everyone is amazed at his teaching. But surely their response could have been then should we give all our money to Caesar because it all has his image on it therefore it's all his. But they don't. They know exactly what Jesus has done. It is in what has not been said that the Pharisees have remained silent. Now we've all probably heard this passage preached before and been told this is about a separation of church and state. But this isn't what Jesus is saying because this would not get the type of reaction from the teachers and the religious leaders. It was also not at the forefront of Jesus' ministry and focus while he was proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom. When Jesus asks whose image is on the coin and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, he has linked the image of Caesar on the coin with the image of God that humanity has been imprinted with since creation. He is saying, the coin is to be used how Caesar demands it to be used, because it bears his image. And by saying, give to God what is God's, Jesus is saying, as God's image here on earth, we are to act and live however God demands us to act and live. He reminds them that they are to be God's image and representatives here on earth. He's making a reference back to Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 28 where God creates humanity to rule over and subdue creation in his image. Let me read it for you. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves 
this was the call for us to look after and live under God's rule and keep creation in its initial state. To live according to how God intended us to live. It was a call to do what he told us to do in the way he told us to do it. This is why the Pharisees are left with no reply. They know that this is something that they themselves have not done, even though they are God's chosen people. They understood that living under the Mosaic law was for the purpose of living in the image of God. Paying the imperial tax not only makes them remember what they lost in the exile, but Jesus has reminded them as to why they lost their property and why they have not yet received it back. They have not been living as God's holy nation of priests. They have not perfectly obeyed the law of Moses. They have not lived as though they were the image of God here on earth. While Jesus has freed us from the bondage of the law as a way to gain righteousness, this message is still just as strong for us today as it was for the Jewish people of that day. This means our, our identity can be found as image bearers of God and not as people who bear the image of the world. For us today, what we own and what we have in money, material wealth, houses and possessions should not be how we judge our worth or even who we see ourselves as being. Because most of these things have been obtained through other people's money such as loans, borrowing from families, and inheritance. And these are the things that the world has promised us and that the world owns. They bear the image of the world, not our image and not God's. Because when we die, it all remains his. It remains here for someone else to live in and occupy and use or in some cases, knocked down and destroyed. But we, we are made in the image of God and we belong to God and so must give to God what is God's. Now when we think about paying taxes and giving to God what is his, can we say we give to God like we give our taxes to the government? Do we give the 20 50% of our lives to God like we give our taxes? Are we truly giving to God what he demands from us as his image bearers? Do we give him 10% of ourselves? And I don't mean in tithing. I mean of our actual selves, of our time, of our effort, love, faith, and of our lives. But we do not just owe him 10 or 50% of ourselves. We owe God 100% of ourselves as his image bearers. This is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 verse 26 that we must hate our lives and give up our lives if we are to serve God in his kingdom. Are we as Christians coming to church because as the image bearers of God, we are joining together to be a light shining out into the darkness. 
Or are we here because of habit? Or because we have to? Do we read our Bibles and pray every day knowing this is the very minimum standard that we should be doing as image bearers of God? Israel was called to be the image of God on earth. The people of God had always been given the instruction to meditate on the law and scripture. But to meditate doesn't even quite capture the true nature of the word and what we're called to do. The Hebrew word for meditate is actually matter. We are to speak it out to ourselves constantly, muttering the word of God under our breath as we walk, as we work, and as we do anything. But in order to do this, we first need to memorize and know enough scripture to be able to do this. We also must contemplate on that scripture and how it ties into God's overall purpose. We must know what the original authors actually meant and what they were actually trying to say before we even begin to try and figure out how this should apply in our lives. Because if we are to bear his image, we must first know what that looks like. We must read the Bible, pray, speak to God, and know who he is, if we are to know how it is we should do this. We must be his image when speaking to people in our lives. We must bear his image in love, justice, righteousness, holiness, even suffering. Now, if you are like me and struggle to remember and recite the Bible, then maybe like me you can just contemplate different aspects of what it means to be a Christian. Think deeper about what it means for us to be the image of God and how that might look in your life. still leaves the question of how do we do this? How do we live as image bearers of God? Jesus helps us out. He tells us that the two most important Old Testament laws are to love God and love your neighbour. Jesus says that all other laws are wrapped up in just those two laws. But we all know it's really that easy to do just those two. It sounds easy, but it's not. We know that at times it can be hard to know what we should or even how we should do that. But God has given us his book, his word, and that gives us everything we need to be able to live a life that reflects his goodness, his love, and his holiness. So we need to read the Bible, study it, and live it out just as Jesus did. Because we know that from Colossians that Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God. And seeing as the Bible is essentially about Jesus, it's not a bad place to start. But to help us do this, God has also given us the Holy Spirit 
to dwell inside of us and to help us learn who Jesus is and to help us live like Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us and strengthens us every day as we live out our lives as God's chosen people, as image bearers of God. This is what Israel was meant to do when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They were to be known as God's chosen people by the way they lived according to God's law. We as Christians through the death of Jesus have been given that same commandment. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, where Peter almost quotes word for word what Israel was commanded to do as God's chosen people in Exodus 16. I'll read it out. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received it. Peter then goes on to explain what this is the meaning to believers in Jesus Christ and what this means for us today as Christians. He continues by saying, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits them. As the image bearers and holy nation of God, we are commanded to live such good lives amongst the unbelievers that they will praise God for our deeds when Jesus returns. If we were to compare our lives to someone outside today that was just walking past that had never heard the good news of Jesus, would our lives look any different? Not our outward looking lives, but the lives deep inside of us. The true us. Not just the us that we allow people to see. Or the us we post online. If we were coins, would we bear the image of Caesar or the image of God? I hope for our sake we can say we bear the image we were created for, the image of God. If not, then we must change our hearts and minds, turn from our sinful ways, turn from our lazy and Christian by name only, Turn away from the world and live a life that reflects the image of God, a life that reflects Jesus. But something has been missed when we talk about being made in the image of God. Well, it's not necessarily that we've missed it. It's more that we are so inwardly focused as a society that we don't actually see what is written about who is we view this as we, as individuals, are the image of God. But this is not what Genesis or this passage is talking about. Genesis says, let's 
make humankind, you know. It does not say, let's make Adam, you know, think. Or let's make Ben, you know, think. Let's make Mark, you know. Or let's make, insert your own name here, you know. It is humanity as a whole that is meant to be the image of God on earth. Now, when this didn't work, it became Israel's role to be the image of God. If that fails, it is now the church. Us. The people of God that is to be the image of God. We as a collective need to represent God here on earth. When people look at the church, they should be looking at what it would be like if God was here on earth ruling and subduing it. For a community to bear the image of God, it must mean that each individual member bears that image also. But it requires a corporate effort. Now, when I set out to find a passage uh, for today to preach on, I wanted to find something that was uplifting and encouraging. And so I don't want to leave here without offering some sort of encouragement to all of you today. While all of this can be quite challenging to hear, it can also be greatly encouraging. To know that we have been made in the image of God means something for us that nothing else in creation can boast. Nothing else in all of creation is given this privilege to be God's image bearer. God created the world so that we could share in this wonderful gift of being his people. He allows us to share in his glory, to share in his love and righteousness through the death and living example of Jesus Christ. So with Jesus as our example, the Holy Spirit as our guide, and with the understanding we gain through the word, let us continue to be coined, bearing the image of God. Please join with me in prayer. Dear Jesus, we pray that we can bear your image here on earth. I pray that we can all be a light out into the darkness, that we can take your word into our hearts and into our minds and meditate on it day and night so that we can better understand your will for our lives. I pray for North Pine Baptist Church, that we can be encouraged by this message, and that we can show the world what, it, what you look like through our actions, our words, and our thoughts. I pray we can all have a hunger for your word and your wisdom as we live out our days as people who love and worship you. And finally, I pray that through your word and through the Holy Spirit, we can live a life that bears your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, 
visit npbc.org.au.